Welcome to Books of Titans. I'm Jason Staples, together with Eric Rostad, and this podcast is dedicated to the influences of influencers, the books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectual scientists, and others. And we'll talk about what makes these books so important and influential, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about these important works. Today, we're going to cover the book Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, a book focused on instructions on writing and life. Tim Ferriss recommended this book with a number of different guests in Tools of Titans, and it shows up in the Paulo Coelho section. So Paulo was born in Brazil. Right now he lives in Geneva, Switzerland. So he's um, he's still kicking and has quite a uh, active Twitter feed if, if you're interested. He's the author most famously known for The Alchemist, his most popular book. It has 65 million copies sold. And uh, he's done well funny, for himself, I guess. Yeah, well, his first printing was for 900 copies, so they didn't have a whole lot of uh, of trust in the book. But the the funny thing is, is uh, it did that 900 copies, and then it didn't catch on right away. But then he had a, another book after The Alchemist, and that drove some interest in him. And then and then The Alchemist took off from there. Uh, my first job at or job out of college at Russell, uh, one of my coworkers got bought me that book, so I read it a long time ago. Don't don't recall a whole lot of it, but um, but uh, have did read it a while ago. Uh, he still writes and averages one book every two years. And just wanted to, to read a quick section from uh, Tools of Titans in the Paulo Coelho section. This is uh, Paulo speaking. Keep it simple. Trust your reader. He or she has a lot of imagination. Don't try to describe things. Give a hint and they will fulfill this this hint with their own imagination. That's why I'm so reluctant to sell the rights of my books for movies because there you have everything. The viewer does not need to think. However, if I say in, in Aleph at the very beginning, I'm in my house in the Aleph. It's the first, it's the first letter of, uh, of the Hebrew, uh, alphabet and also the title of one of his books, of course. Okay. I'm in my house in the Pyrenees and there is an Oak there. I don't need to explain my house in the Pyrenees. I only need to put in the elements that are important, the oak, myself, and the person that I'm talking to. That's all. Trust your reader. Understand that he or she can fill the empty, sp- empty spaces. Don't over-explain. That was a cool little, cool little writing tip there. So uh, the author of the book that we're discussing today, Bird by Bird, is Anne Lamott. She's on Twitter at Anne Lamott, 1M, 2Ts. She's an American novelist and nonfiction writer. She lives in uh, that state over on the west side, the big one. What's it called? Oh, yeah, California. She writes, uh, covers a ton of topics uh, such as alcoholism, single motherhood, depression, and Christianity. So this is her uh, her most famous book here, Bird by Bird. But she does, uh, as I said, write novels as well, so fiction and nonfiction. So we'll head into the overview of this this book and our, our initial reactions. So the, the subtitle of the book is some instructions on writing and life. And she does a great job of, of covering both of those topics. It gave me a, a, a much better appreciation for novels and character development. And she, so the, the, the way the book is set up is, is, as it says, some instructions on writing and life. So she gives just uh, ways to think about writing, but then also, the, she knows a lot of authors, so she talks a lot about their writing style. And so it's it was a good book in that sense of learning how authors go about writing 
how they write fiction and um, and just tips really for for how to how to do that well. And to me, it was uh, things that were way out of the realm of what I thought would go into writing a novel. And we'll get into those later. But it, w- it was very interesting on that front. It also made me want to begin writing more and uh, just with the way that she describes the, <laughs> the writing process. So I've, I've never written anything uh, in terms of fiction or anything. So it, it kind of got me uh, interested in, in doing it. Have, have you ever written any fiction? Um, not, not, not much to speak of. Uh, you know, I've written, uh, written basically, uh, uh, I guess what could be called fiction. I've used stories in, uh, you know, to, to deliver points in, in nonfiction context, which is, uh, you know, similar, a similar genre, but nothing large, nothing long form, uh, in terms of, in terms of fiction. Okay. Well, and what, what were your, uh, initial reactions to the book? Um, well, I mean, a lot of it was just familiarity. I mean, there's a lot of, there was a lot of stuff in this book that to me as someone who a large portion of my life is spent writing one way or another, uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that I, I, I looked at and went, yeah, that, that's pretty much right. That, that's pretty much true. And then there's a few things where it's like, ah, it's not like that for me. Uh, Mm. but you know, for the most part, it's more to me. It was more of a philosophical reflection on writing, more than you know here, and and also a, an encouragement to to write in specific ways, uh, and from specific types of motivation and 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 uh, and towards specific ends, rather than something that's really necessarily going to help people uh, become better writers. Uh, I, I I mean, I suppose if if People are all are not operating from you know the idea of character being character driven or various other things. I mean, there's some basic stuff in there that, that that's pretty helpful. But for the most part, I think most people who write a lot would would read this and say, "Oh yeah, you know, most writers would would say the same things." Although you know, there's there's obviously variation on certain details. Um, but again, I'm not sure how much. I would necessarily get uh, like how much I necessarily got out of it that I would look back on again, especially since most of the writing that I do is, is of the nonfiction variety. I'm not sure how much of it I look at and I go, yeah, that helped. Uh, I I didn't Mm. think there was a whole lot there as a writer with a lot of experience now that I go, Oh yeah, that, that, you know, I, I should read that again because this, this really helped. Uh, It was just more of a, yeah, that, that I can, I can relate to this. Well, and I, I have one friend who, um, who wrote a comment on, on our, on our website about this book. And she said, I've never understood why people think so highly of this book, but so many people do, I guess it's an epiphany for people to learn that the first drafts don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And so she has little tidbits like that throughout the book of, of how to get over uh, writer's block and, and that you can have uh, crappy first drafts and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, and so and for me as an experienced writer, I mean, the first thing that, you know, and, and if I were going to you know put together tips like that, yeah, of course, the first thing you have to get over as a writer is the idea that you're that you have to produce perfection at the beginning. Well, of course you don't. You're not going to mm-hmm. produce perfection, generally speaking, at all. So start with what you got and, and roll with it. And again, and, and I think that comment actually got got to some of my thoughts on this as well, which is there's really nothing here that's like, oh yeah, that's going to really help me as a writer because most of this stuff, it's like, well, yeah, of course you just have to put words on paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You start with drafts and you edit. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
but I mean, I might use it for 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 novices, especially who who haven't written. So yeah, I I I get that comment completely. Well, and and this is book seventeen out of the list. I'm I'm currently reading book thirty two or thirty three, and one of the other books along the way is the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And and when I think back on on this book, Bird by Bird, I I kind of get the two confused because they are. They are a little similar in um, in in the sense of, of writing and, and instructions on writing, but uh, Ju- the Julia Cameron book, The Artist's Way, goes a little more on the workbook side of things. So uh, when thinking back, I, I kind of combine the two of these together, and I think maybe uh, reading the two of them together would, would be helpful. Uh, but but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear uh, your further thoughts on it. Um, but we, let's start with with the quotes, and I. Let's. You want to start? I think you've got a few more here. Well, than, I'm, uh, I'm, I than just. I I've got more on the list that I'm actually going to go into, just because uh, due to various uh, time aspects, uh, I uh, didn't have the time to organize things as well. But I, I've got a few. Okay. A few. A few of them. I mean, I suppose the first one I can go with is uh, she points to one of the problems with people that come to her writing uh, classes as uh, as as consistently recurring she says the problem that comes up over and over again is that these people want to be published they kind of want to write but they really want to be published you'll never get where you get to where you want or you'll never get to uh, to where you want to be that way and this gets back to what we talked about i believe is on the last podcast Mm -hmm. a couple first and yeah about first and second things yep if you're going to be a successful writer the first thing you have to do is embrace writing and telling stories and learning to use your voice and doing so not not so that you can be published, not so that you can make money, not so that you can be famous, any of those things. Those motivations will not make you a good writer. In fact, they're going to stand in the way. And if you're going to wind up being published and being successfully published and actually selling books, the only way to do that is to focus on actually being a good writer and focus not even on being a good writer, but on writing good things. And, you know, that's the other thing. And, and she gets there kind of indirectly at different points in this book, but she talks a lot about being a good writer uh, and, and sort of by, by proxy writing, you know, writing well. But to me, again, the, and the, the emphasis here is, you know, stop even thinking of yourself as a writer. Stop trying to be a good writer. This is not a noun or even an adjective to, uh, to try to become. It's not it's not a thing. What, what it is, is writing is an, is, is a, is a verb, right? You have to write. Writing actually is a participle, but anyway, in, in that use, it's a gerund, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, to write is what you need to do. You need to, you need to, to just write. You need to be a person who writes and writes good stuff, writes well, writes true things, and, uh, and, and she gets to that, that last bit, a good bit, uh, in terms of, you know, finding ways to, to access what is sort of internally true. And she talks about tapping into the, you know, the, the deep darkness below, you know, these sorts of things, you know, uses a lot of different metaphors for that stuff. But, but yeah, I think that's really where a lot of this goes. And, and, and so again, first things and second things comes right to the front and that, that quote, that quote hit it, hit it right down the middle for me. Yeah, and actually, the, this book reminded me a lot of Daily Rituals, a, a book about uh, the guy just goes through all these famous people's lives and how they how they did their art. And what you find is is 
is a lot of it is just the daily grind. You know, it's waking up at a specific time every day doing kind of your morning rituals, uh, whether that's that's coffee or going on a walk or or um, uh, Hemingway was famous for for finishing mid sentence the night before so that he could pick up right from that sentence the next morning. So just all these different daily habits that people had for writing and, and that that's part of it here. Not as you mentioned, just this, you know, I'm, I'm going to become a writer. It's, it's in the future. It's no, it's, it's actually, it, it's kind of tedious at times and, and it's just, <laughs> no, not at times. It, every, it's pretty much always <laughs> tedious, yeah. <laughs> but, but every day going to that page and, and that being, uh, what, what you're doing and not, not waiting for inspiration or, or that sort of thing. Inspiration will come within that uh, that daily ritual. So, well, one of one of my favorite quotes is actually on writing, uh, and it's one I relate to tremendously. This is not in this book. This is a quote from Stephen King, uh, obviously another very highly successful author. Uh, he said, "Amateurs sit and wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and go to work." <laughs> And like I, to- I that I totally get right. I mean, and and actually that that quote kind of overshadowed my reading of a lot of the stuff in here. Where to me, so much of what's in this book could just be pithily summarized by what King says right there: "Amateurs yeah. sit and wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and go to work. And yeah. if you want to, if you want to be a good writer, if you want to write successfully, then get up and go to work and actually." Be willing to bare your soul and, uh, you know, dig deep into the, into uh, into the the source material that you need to be able to uh, to produce what you what you're trying to produce. Yeah. Well, I'll go into my my first one here, and it was actually found in the intro of the book. Uh, she says, "Ever since I was a little kid, I've thought that there was something noble and mysterious about writing, about the people who could do it well, who could create a world as if they were little gods or sorcerers." All my life, I've felt that there was something magical about people who could get into other people's minds and skin, who could take people like me out out of ourselves and then take us back to ourselves. And you know what? I still do. Uh, that was an awesome uh, description of, of books that you read. And, and I, I love that when she was a kid, it was something that she thought about and thought it was so cool. But that, that has never left her as she's read and, and as she's written herself now. Uh, that ability to to make people come out of their selves, see see themselves in the characters of the book, and then um, and then have that change the person. And in fact, she had another quote in there of some of the effect of it. If if your book doesn't change people, then why are you writing? So I enjoyed uh, enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah. So another one for me is uh, let's see. Um, I think that this sort of person often becomes either a writer or a career criminal. <laughs> and actually, yeah, there's some, there, there's a lot of, of, uh, parallels there, you know, writers and career criminals have some similarities. So I, I, I kind of related to that one. Well, you hit on earlier the, the, the problem of perfectionism and, and that that can hinder people. And she said, perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. <laughs> Pithily stated and and, uh, and right on. We can maybe discuss that a little more uh, in the, the yep. next section. Yep. Um, all right. Another another quote I really liked. Um, let's see. Uh, you don't have to see where you're going. 
You don't have to see where you're going. You just, you don't have to see your destination or everything you will pass along the way. You just have to see two or three feet ahead of you. This is right up there with the best advice about writing or life I've ever heard. And, and you know, that, I guess for, for, for my type of writing, that, that doesn't work at all. Um, mm. Because, you know, most of the time I'm writing knowing, I, like, I write and I know the end in mind pretty much completely. And sometimes I'm uh, in the process, I get a little bit clearer picture so that it, it, it's, it's an even sharper point that I end on. But I know where I'm going when I start. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of life, yeah, you know what? You don't have to see the destination. In fact, a lot of us uh, would be terrified if we really knew where we would be in five or ten, year, ten years. Mm-hmm. But being able to see a few feet in front of us at the moment is, is sufficient. And just do, what, do what's there for the day. Like Stephen King said, get up and go to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this, this was one of the, the things that struck me the most in the book was was this idea, she gives the analogy uh, in quoting another writer of, of looking at writing as, as driving in the, at night. So you can basically, with, the, with your headlights on your car, you can see just a little bit in front of you, and that, that's how you should approach writing. And it's completely different than what, without having deeply thought about it in my life, but what I would have thought authors would do, and what, what I did think was that they would have a general story in their mind. They would have the end they, they knew it was going to happen in the end. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of, you have the almost preparing it like a, a school paper. So you, you know, the intro, the, the conclusion, and then you're just kind of filling things in, in the middle. And she says, that's not how writers do it, or, or at least the ones that she knows. And, and she says, in fact, if you do it that way, it's almost propaganda where you're, you're trying to, to get a, a specific point across. And, and that's the purpose of your writing instead of of, of seeking truth in a way of, of, through the writing. And so that, that was really, that was really interesting to me. I'd never, never thought of that, but of, of taking a book and just starting and then just going a bit at a time, letting the characters develop as you're writing and not really with an end in mind. Uh, and so it, that, it was, it was a neat thing for me to, to read that. I, I just, and again, not every author, and she acknowledges this, not every author takes that approach. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at uh, J.K. Rowling with the Harry Potter series, basically outlined the entire overarching plot before writing the first book. And then wow. spent the next little over a decade, what, it's like 15 years, writing several thousand pages to get there. And certain details along the way changed, but, you know, the, the scene at the end of the final book is one of the first things she wrote. And she only made a few wow. tweaks to it at the end based wow. on a few things that had changed in the process because this didn't work as well as she thought or whatever. So she left room for things to change on the basis of character stuff. But she had an outline. You can see, like, the outline and the lines and all this. I mean, she's, she's uh, made that available for some uh, some some viewing. And she, uh, you know, she started with with a very strong sense of where the where the thing where things were going and that's part of why that series is so enthralling is she's got all sorts of little carrots and easter eggs and all sorts of stuff that she's hiding throughout Mm. to set up different things that are going to happen in book two or in book four and then finally you know at the the end 
And it all comes full circle, and it's a circle that she's been intending from from the beginning. So that's one approach to start a book and not really know where you're going. And you can do that. That's that's fine. Uh, for me, I, I don't think I will ever necessarily start any project that way. I, I, and mm. I know people who, who basically have started their nonfiction, their dissertations or things like this, where it's like, well, I'm going to write on this subject, but I really don't know what I'm going to find by the end. And, you know, I hear people talking in my in my field. Well... You know, I started on it and I didn't really know where it would go, but you know, that's typical with dissertations. You don't really know kind of what you're going to find until you really get into it. And I'm sitting there going, I had the basic thesis of my dissertation set, you know, five years before I even, or what, six years, seven years before I ever wrote, ever started writing it. Wow. Um, so yeah, certain things got, got sharper and, and, and there's some stuff that, that, altered and changed a little bit along the way. And I, you know, the way that I went about it, uh, changed just a little bit to get a little bit stronger, but the, the, the thing was, was there. So I would actually tweak the metaphor that she has there just a little bit from driving at night where all you see is your, is your headlights. Yeah, that's fine. But if you're just aimlessly driving, that doesn't really do much mm -hmm. driving at night with your headlights on and the, and the GPS or you're at least having a map to where you know, like, okay, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in this city, and I'm trying to get to that city, or I'm, you know, I'm leaving this restaurant, and I'm trying to get home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're only seeing two or three feet in front of you at the moment, but you do know roughly where you're trying to end up. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily know the path that you're going to take because there might be a detour along the way, or there might be an accident, or you know, something, something might steer, you know, the GPS might steer you around it. But you know kind of where you're going. And I think that's the other side to that metaphor that I think needs to be there for, for a lot of quality writing. And again, you can do it without it in some cases if, you, if you've got certain characters and you just want to explore where they're going. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like doing pottery. You can, you can really try to force the clay into what your image is at the beginning, or you can kind of let the clay also work, you know, a little bit more... Uh, willfully on its own there and the the amount of interplay that you have is always going to be there uh, because you know clay's tough to work with and you're going to figure you're, you know you're going to figure things out as you go on and you're going to make make alterations but you may decide that this is going to be this kind of piece regardless of how difficult the clay is and you just have to spend more time on it so there are different approaches there and I think that's one thing that's that that is valuable there her thing is don't get obsessed with the plot and try to paint by the numbers here. And I think that's mm -hmm. a, a worthwhile lesson, but I think it's, it's worth noting that there are lots of different ways to skin this animal. Yeah. And, and speaking of animals, I mean, the title of the book is bird by bird and, and where that comes from is her brother when they were kids was, was doing a, a school project on a whole, a whole set of birds. He had a, he had a do a project about a, a ton of different birds and, and it came down to due date and he hadn't started and he was just going crazy, and, and their father said, just take it bird by bird. And so in that example, you did have an endpoint, the, the, the project of, of cataloging all these birds, but the process was not, uh, it was to just take it that step by step. Um, and, and so that's, that is really the, the main part of the, part of the book, and I, and I guess within that example, at least, where the title of the book comes from, there, there was an endpoint. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My third quote comes from a section where she's talking about jealousy and, and watching your other writing friends succeed and <laughs> how to how to handle that. 
So she's talking about uh, uh, a situation where one of her friends called, and here's where the quote start starts. It's always presented humbly, like some born-again Christian Miss America contest contestant. And that was a good one. Uh, imagine a, a born-again Christian contestant for Miss America doing a humble brag. <laughs> Oh, uh, how about you? What was your next one? All right, let's see. The next one that I had. Um, ah, yes. Uh, in general, though, there's no point in writing hopeless novels. We all know we're going to die. What's important is the kind of men and women we are in the face of this. And I actually think her philosophy on this is more or less right. I mean, we've seen a turn uh, in entertainment. Uh, towards you know this towards a lot of gritty realism and you know showing the world the way that it is as opposed to you know this idealistic uh, uh, way of of showing things and you know end it, making sure you you don't end on any sort of happy note make sure that people see the bleakness of of real life and I actually I, I look at that and I'm like well then what's the point of actually doing the story because I mean I can just go outside and you know walk down to the shelter and, and get that and in, in a lot of respects. So, I mean, wh why, why would I subject myself to that necessarily and, and let that be the way, the way that my mind is, uh, is shaped. So, so I do kind of get where she's going. I mean, I, I think it's great. I think it's important actually to, to, to portray the world the way that it is and to portray, you know, actual evil and all that, if you're going to do this sort of thing, but also have a real sense of morality and a real sense of justice in there as well, rather than the sort of nihilistic, well, you know, don't expect there to be any sort of real justice in the world kind of thing. Uh, I, I think you've got to have something else to, to bring to the table. Otherwise, there's no reason to uh, to go to a story or to literature as opposed to um, to real life. So, so yeah, I, I thought that well, was a, that, a decent one. And that will come into play when we discuss Blood Marinian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your favorite. Yeah, yeah. My next one, uh, I was waiting for the kind of solution where God reaches down and touches you with his magic wand and all of a sudden I would be fixed, like a broken toaster oven. But this was not the way it happened. Instead, I got one instrument unit better day by day. And I, I picked this one out because it, it follows my, my conversion story to a T uh, when I was a teenager it, because I, I did, I was kind of waiting for this this big lightning bolt to happen and, and it never did. And I, I started getting frustrated. It's a good thing you wouldn't then, be here if you'd gotten struck by lightning most likely. Uh, yeah. It dep depends on if I was wearing those rubber, rubber boots or not. Yeah. Um, so, but then I, I started noticing things changing day on a day by day basis. So I knew something had happened. So I liked how she described that and, and was, was able to relate in, uh, in, in that sense. Yeah, there's a couple others, and actually, the next one that I could I could read is actually a longer one that's on the on, on the same lines of what you what you just read. Uh, I, I just like this passage. Yeah, I heard Marianne I, I like Williamson say once that when you ask God into your life, you think he or she is going to come into your psychic house, look around, and see that you just need a new floor or better furniture, and that everything needs a little cleaning. And so you'll go along for the first six months, thinking how nice life is that now that God is here or God is there. Then you look out the window one day and you see that there's a wrecking ball outside. It turns out that God actually thinks your whole foundation is shot and you're going to have to start over from scratch. 
And I, I really, I really liked that because that actually does sort of, uh, jive with my my sense of of how these sorts of things tend to work and uh and it also it runs it runs counter to a a big that that aspect runs counter to a big um trend in the way that people think about god and religion uh in the u.s these days where you have this idea that you know it's interesting because you've got in especially in protestant christianity and evangelical christianity you've had this tension between come as you are you know, that famous, you know, Billy Graham kind of thing. Uh, and then... Nirvana song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then, you know, this idea that, you know, you need to change and repent that is sort of at the at the ground ground uh, level of, uh, of the early Christian proclamation. You know, you see this all over the New Testament. Uh, and you see this idea that uh, a lot of times there's a, even a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, faithful faithful christians who you know argue that basically christianity should be about acceptance and about uh uh you know inclusion and these sorts of things and you get all these uh these uh buzzword values thrown thrown around but then i think this kind of undoes that to some degree right there's this idea that eh, if you really come into contact with god and and whether you believe in god or not that this is immaterial to the point in at this moment that she's actually making but once you you know come into contact here you you discover that there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that you know about about each of us that needs to be fixed you know we're not perfect entities and uh you know in order to in order to to get where we really should go there, there's going to need to be a wrecking ball taken and this actually reminds me of another quote that I saw the other day this is from uh rabbi aharon uh, uh, lichtenstein uh where he said uh the torah is neither world accepting nor world rejecting it is world redeeming and that idea you know i think is central to uh, a lot of different religious traditions, but uh, you know, she writes this from uh, from a more or less progressive Christian perspective. Uh, and you know, Judaism and Christianity in particular are very much—they're not about acceptance, and they're not about rejection either. They're about redemption, and that entails some uh, some some uh, sometimes some some bad news to go along with this, this idea of good news as well. That you know, bad news is that you have cancer. The good news is that it's operable and can be fixed, but uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty bad, pretty pretty tough tough road. That's that's where this goes. So I I, I liked that little passage. Yeah, and it, I, I I underlined that one as well. I, I really liked it, and it it does it kind of it flies in the face of, uh, of a lot of the self help stuff, and uh, even a lot of the the books that we're reading in this uh, in in this books of titans list of. It, it kind of takes you as a well. You're you're here. You just need to get here to be a little better. And um, her, her quote here of <laughs> actually thinks your whole foundation is shot. And and it reminds me also. It reminds me also of my uh, my favorite professor in grad school who um, he he would tell us almost every class everything you know is wrong. And and it was a good good starting place. Uh, there was an entrepreneurship course and everything you know about business. Everything you know about starting a business is, is wrong. And if you go in with that, uh, attitude as well, you're, um, you're a lot more likely to learn. So I, I think it was, uh, good that he, that that professor did that. Yep. 
few others. I'm gonna, uh, a few others yeah. real quick. But I'm, I'm okay. just going to rapid fire these. Okay. Uh, we write to expose the unexposed. If there is one door in the castle you've been told not to go through, you must. I liked that one. Uh, if you give freely, this idea of, you know, don't don't try to hold on to ideas or whatever, but, uh, but you know, give everything you've got to whatever project you're going. But if you give freely, there will always be more. And that, that principle I've found to generally be true across the board. And then to be great, art has to point somewhere. So if you're no longer familiar with that place of naive conscience, it's hard to see any point in your being a writer. Uh, and then finally, they're angry people. This is why they write, <laughs> which actually uh, I relate to very well. Um, I uh, will probably come back to this later in the podcast, but you know, people ask me, you know, what 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 motivates you to do the research that you do, or to publish what you publish, or you know, what what's motivated this project or whatever. And, oh well, generally, and my my answer is, oh, I I write best, um, and you know, find my motivation from rage. That's that's generally my response. Uh, I I get angry and um, I write because I'm angry at some sort of injustice, whether actual or perceived. Somebody, you know, it's that you've seen the uh, the comic. Somebody is wrong on the internet. Uh, that is that is kind of my, uh, my 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 way of dealing with things across the board. It's not just on the internet. It's it's overall. Someone is wrong. Someone has said something that is leading people astray. That's bringing about injustice or whatever. And so I have to I have to fix this. That 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 sense of justice and rage underlies most of uh, most of what I do in terms of writing. Now, there is the writing that I do on the sports writing side and some of that that's just more or less straight because I enjoy certain analyses and I enjoy showing how things work and it's a teaching thing as well as, well, I get paid to do it. So <laughs> there is that too, uh, you know, that gets back to uh, some of us just go to work uh, and yeah. you learn how to how to write on, on other motivations on on that. But uh, but yeah, I, I get the uh, the anger thing. All right, let's go ahead and yeah. move forward. All right. I'm going to break convention here and, and introduce a new segment, and that is uh, Eric's favorite word. Yep. And I'm going to pull this from page eight of the book where she used the word excrementitious. <laughs> so the first part of that word is, is uh, excrement. And so excre excrementitious is waste material, especially fecal matter, that is expelled from the body after digestion. Digestion. So I may, st I may start pulling some uh, favorite words out of books, but that one was, <laughs> I need to start using that once a day at least. Excrementitious. Yep. <laughs> All right, so the nitty-gritty, nitty let's go back to our uh, regularly scheduled program here. The nitty-gritty. Uh, I'm going to start off with this one. It's, it's, it's a quote, but it'll lead us into to some discussion. Becoming a better writer is going to help you become a better reader, and that is the real payoff. And that's, that's one thing I, I noticed in this book. It was actually helping me understand authors more, understand novels that, that I read, and understand the process that, that, goes, that goes into them. So I liked that, that becoming a better writer will help you become a better reader. And that uh, is true. I'm, I'm not a writer at all. And so that was another reason, as I mentioned before, that it, it kind of sparked an interest in me to, to, to attempt to write a little bit. So. 
Let's see. What 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 uh what's something that stuck out to you in the nitty gritty? Oh geez. Um Yeah. Well, <laughs> there there are a couple of humorous things for me. Uh one is, you know, again, this is this is devoted much more towards people who are interested in writing fiction. So, you know, she's giving all sorts of like, well, you know, for your inspiration, you need to look at yourself. You need to look at your life or whatever. And then she's got this passage. Start with kindergarten. Try to get the words and memories down as they occur to you. Don't worry if what you write is no good because no one's going to see it. Move on to first grade, to second, to third. Who are your teachers, your classmates? What did you wear? Who and what were you jealous of? Now branch out a little. Did your family take vacations during those years? And I, 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 I started cracking up at this point. Uh, because I didn't go to kindergarten, uh, really. I mean, I, I think I went to a few weeks of it, and then we ended up uh, moving or whatever. But I didn't go to first grade, and I didn't go to second grade, and I only went to part of third grade. So I really don't have much to report on those those years from, from that angle. And uh, no, my family never went on vacations during those years. We, we didn't have the money to do so. So uh, no, we did not do that. And uh, as a general rule, I wasn't jealous of anyone. And... Uh, I, uh, I can't say a whole lot about what I wore. I mean, not much interesting. I wore sweats most of the time in those years. So I was, you know, I just kind of had the, well, this wouldn't work for me. Uh, I need to find material elsewhere. Yeah. But she even goes further back. She says you start even uh, younger than that. And yeah, she says elsewhere. you have enough material just from your, from your family and, and seeing what goes on there for, uh, to, to get you writing. Yeah, although I mean, again, in in my case, I mean, well, part of it is that I think during the process of of working through my PhD and doing my dissertation, I think I I erased whole portions of my memory prior to college. Basically, I, I, I've, I my memory has basically really gone down the tubes on a lot of that stuff. I'd need some uh, props and pictures and so on to remember stuff at this point. But uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just cracking up about how some of that worked. I yeah. did really enjoy uh, the discussion that she had of school lunches, though. I don't know what you thought about that section. I don't remember that. So it was when she was talking about um, uh, about you know the how school lunches uh, are more than just you know times when people are getting together and eating. She's like, oh, it only looks like. Uh, people are, you know, getting like kids are getting together and a bunch of kids getting together and eating. Uh, it really was about opening our insides in front of everyone. This is uh, in the school lunches uh, chapter. Uh, she's like, just like writing is, it was a precursor of showers in seventh and eighth grade gym where everyone could see your everything and your lack of every or your lack of everything. And smell the inside smells of your body, and the whole time you just knew you were going to catch something. The contents of your lunch said whether or not you and your family were okay. Some bag lunches, like some people, were okay, and some weren't. There was a code, a right and acceptable way. It was that simple. And, you know, this idea of, you know, status and all this at... Uh, at um, uh, at lunch, I thought was 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 pretty funny. And again, I only went to as far as grade school. I only went to part of third grade and and for, and, and all of fourth grade. But uh, you know, even just from middle school and high school, I still remember. You know, that more or less that was that was true. And I remember from uh, third and fourth grade that you know there was some truth to this. That uh, you know there was some amount of status and you know envy that happened every 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 lunch period. I don't, I don't know if you remember this this section now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it in the book. It's just, it's one that I underlined quite a bit in this book and I did not underline one thing in that chapter. So. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and, and some of the things that were, that were funny about this is that I, 
so I, 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 I hate to say it this way because uh, I, I actually, there, there was a lot that I, I really uh, admired and related to in this book, but there were also parts of this book where I couldn't help but go, man, you know, like, I, you know, I understand the, the battle with the kind of manic depression that, that you go through as a writer. I mean, I, I, I've gone through a lot of that stuff as well. But dang, if, if, you know, she isn't like pouring on the neuroses throughout this book. Yeah. And there's like, and she talks about this. I mean, she's very open about this. So, I mean, I, I can't feel bad about addressing it because she, she's very open about this reality. But, you know, she talks so much about her need, her desire to be okay, you know, to be regarded as okay by, you know, outsiders and to be, uh, you know, one of the, one of the group or one of the crowd. And, like, as I was reading through, it was like, wow, I, I just didn't have, <laughs> I did not have that. I still don't really have that. You know, this idea of like, you want, you, you and your family want to be okay. Well, no, I mean, and actually it, as bad as it sounds, I was laughing with my wife after reading this passage or this chapter. It's like, you know, I'm reading through this and maybe this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm maybe not as neurotic on some of this stuff as, as some of my, my colleagues, but I, I never really wanted to be okay. I never wanted to be one of the group or to be, you know, I didn't look around and go like, oh, you know, I, I just want to be, you know, I want to be, you know, accepted as more like one of them because I looked around and I was like, no, I want to be better than you. <laughs> it's like, I don't want you. I don't want, I don't be like you. I don't really care if you like me or not. I want to be better than you. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's kind of awful, but like, you know, there were, there were the kids that you'd like see certain things in their lunch. And I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So, you know, there were certain kids that, you know, they'd have like the, the, I remember gushers and fruit roll-ups and certain things that you'd see advertised. And it was like, yeah, that's gotta be pretty cool. Like they've got like the, the thing that was advertised as really tasty or really cool. And, you know, I've got something that's a little different, but at the same point, like my, my parents did an unbelievable job of propaganda as I was being raised on lots of little things. I mean, we were persuaded and rightly so that, you know, no, no, no. What, 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 you know, you may think that white bread tastes a little bit better. Cause she says it goes without, almost goes without saying that store brought white, store bought white bread was the only acceptable bread for lunch. There were no exceptions. Well, the thing was my parent, my mom had us convinced at a very young age. Yeah. White bread, you know, lots of, lots of kids like that and everything, but it's not good for you. So yeah. we're going to eat other stuff and our bread, it might not always taste as good, but it's better. And we bought it. I don't know how they did it, but we actually yeah. bought it. And it was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want the white bread. I, I want, I want wheat. I want rye or I want something else because they, they convinced us that, well, everybody else is going to do this, but we're going to do this and it's going to be better. And we just, at least I did. And I, I think generally Stephanie did for the most part as well. My sister, uh, <laughs> we, we, we were like, well, we don't do it that way because this is, this is the rationale. And I think it's a lot because my parents were always honest with us. I mean, even mm -hmm. about the little things, I mean, we didn't even do Santa Claus. So, you know, they were honest about uh, all the way down to the little things. And, uh, and then also were why people, when we asked why they explained, yeah. and if they didn't have a good why, then they'd admit it and they'd be like, well, you know what, maybe that is, maybe there isn't a good reason. There were times I remember my dad changing his, changing his tune. Like I'd challenge him on something. He'd be like, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. We won't, we won't have to do it that way. <laughs> 
And as a result, I think that was a big part of like their success on all this. So I'd go to school and I wouldn't have a lunch like everybody else's, but I thought my lunch was better. They didn't all think my lunch was better necessarily, but I did. You did. <laughs> and as far as I was concerned, their opinion didn't matter. Yeah. So some of this stuff. I would say most people don't live that way. <laughs> yeah. And, it, a, and I think she, I think she did come, come around in the book. Like towards the end, she says, uh, what these people think of me is none of my business. And then she just kind of went and wrote about, uh, uh, things that were hard to write about, but not with the mind of what are they going to think of, of this writing? And and that's one thing I, I saw her continually go back to is that's one of the, that's a hard thing for a lot of people is, uh, to put art out there, uh, whether it's a novel or, or something else that that's a, a part of them, uh, for that fear of rejection. And, and so I, I think that's why she does deal with that a lot in the book. And, and we see it a lot in the, the other book that'll be upcoming the artist way as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would, <laughs> that's awesome that you think that way. I, I, I don't <laughs> think there's many people that do. Yeah. I mean, I, but so I look at this and it was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're really like she, and she talks about this over and over and over again about the struggle with the need for acceptance and the struggle that someone else is getting, you know, more acceptance than she is and all that. And I admire her willingness, first of all, to bear her soul about that struggle and her willingness to to commit to overcoming that. I just didn't relate to it that much because, again, it was just like, well, no, this is the right way. And who cares what anybody else says? That was just the way, yeah. I, way I was raised very early on. And it's just been the way things were. And actually, if I go to my, you know, by the time I was in seventh and eighth grade, uh, when, I, when I returned to, uh, to school at that time, when I went to seventh and eighth grade, my lunch looked nothing like anybody else's. And unlike all the, all the boys who would, you know, go and play basketball at lunch, even though I was an athlete, I got made fun of by, uh, by other athletes. It's like, why are you going to just sit with the girls and eat all, all period? Come on, you know, play basketball with us. It's like, no, I got to eat because my mom would send me with two six inch sub sandwiches or, you know, potentially three like regular bread sandwiches, uh, a little bag of, you know, cookies or chips or something. And between a quart and a half gallon of milk, plus a few other things, you know, some fruit and some other stuff. And my, uh, my, my, the, the lunchbox that I had to carry that stuff around was about two feet tall by one foot wide. Right. <laughs> it's like a duffel bag. Yeah. No, it was bigger than some duffel bags. Right. <laughs> like, you know, and, and so, you know, I, and I was just like, well, I'm hungry. <laughs> and the funny thing is now looking back at it, how many of those guys would have chosen to sit with the girls that I was sitting with, you know, in hindsight now who, yeah. who knew, but, uh, I was just more interested in eating, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't really care. I just, you know, I was interested in eating. So, so anyway, <laughs> well, one thing that stuck out to me and, and I, I mentioned earlier that I, I, I was surprised at the part of writing where she was talking about the, the headlight example of, of just taking it a, a step at a time. Uh, bird by bird and, and looking at, at what's immediately in front of you. Uh, I, just because I assume that writers would be writing in a, in a different way where they would have more of a, a outline and then, and then fill it in. But when, when I relate it, uh, so I play the violin and when I relate it to that and, and especially in, in freestyling on the violin. So what that looks like is, is joining a, a group that's, that's playing a song and, and, maybe I've never heard it before in my life, but just joining in and playing. And, and I kind of view that as a, a, a ultimate test of, of 
of ability on the violin to some degree because it, it's the the notes and stuff have to come from inside you. There's no there's no notes written down for you to play. You just you, you play it, and, and it's based on on what you what you know and, and your skill level on the on the instrument. But I, I noticed something that if I if I would sit there and try to plan out what I was going to play, I, I could never play well. But if if I just kind of got out of the way and let it let it happen, uh, it, it it would be really it would be really good. And it was almost like it was happening through me and, and I wasn't even doing it myself. But I, I kind of, I guess, was able to relate in, in a little bit and, and maybe think that that's what she was talking about is that is that almost ability of not thinking too much, not uh, not trying to plan things out too much, but to but to let to let whatever ha- uh, it is to to come through you and and. I've heard a lot. I, w- I was really interested in that topic um, almost ten years ago, and I, I, I would read a lot of, of artists that would talk about that of 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 like letting the door in and letting letting the stuff just just kind of flow through you. Uh, so that's that's one thing I I was thinking about. She also went into uh, not controlling your mind so much, and and that same idea of of letting letting things flow through you. Um, Obviously, the the talent, the skill has to be there, but um, at at that point, it's not this grit of just bursting through it, but uh, almost allowing it to flow flow through you. And part of that being the setting aside the the time for for that to actually happen, though, too. Yeah, and actually, that's one of one of those places where I do uh, envy people who've actually uh, gained that kind of skill with an instrument. I mean, I. I uh, I love music as much as anybody I know, but uh, never really learned to play an instrument well. Uh, and my, you know, it's one of those things that I I, I imagine, you know, as a writer, I've, I've complained to uh, to my wife before that, you know, as a writer, writing, I, if I don't find writing the process of writing uh, pleasurable generally. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, I, I imagine that just being able to play music and play sort of what you hear in your head because the thing with writing is it takes so long. Like I, I have a picture in my head that I want to get to in terms of my argument or whatever I'm writing. And it may take me like three years to get that picture to a satisfactory point to where I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I mean, heck, the, 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 the project that my dissertation, that became my dissertation, it took, uh, you know, basically 13 years. Uh, yeah. 14 years from the time that I, I sort of had the initial vision to, to seeing it as a dissertation and now I'm finishing, I'm, I'm working on the revisions to, to get it published as a separate book. And so we're going to be looking at, you know, almost a 20 year project by the time that's completed as a book, you know, it's going to be about a 16, 17 year project. And so there isn't that sense of like, you have this picture and you can just flow into it. But I imagine that like being a musician who you can just let go and just express that what you hear has got to be like one of the best feelings in the world. I mean, and, and I, I mean, as an athlete, as a former athlete, I can remember there being those moments where I got into, into that flow state as an athlete. And, and it's just the best feeling in the world when you, when you're doing without thinking and all that. And, and that's something I do envy among those who have that, that kind of musical ability. That's for sure. Well, and it's crazy when you're, um, when you are in that state, I, I find my mind going to, uh, things in the past, like remembrances of the past, like things I haven't thought of 
or things that happened when I was a little kid or, uh, I mean like, like good memories, like things I, I want to remember, but I haven't thought about them in 10, 20 years. And, and here I am, I'm, I'm playing like I'm, 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 I'm freestyling. There should be a lot going on in my, my brain directed towards the music, but I'm actually like in a different, different land, like thinking, like having all these, uh, memories and stuff. So it's really crazy. Like what, when, when you do allow it, do allow it to come through you and then, and then that flow is happening. It's, it's almost like, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's, 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 it's not coming from you in a way because your mind could be somebody somewhere totally different. And yet the, the music's just coming out. So and, it's, and she it's, talks a lot about that as a writer, about really trying to tap into that unconscious where it's not really coming from you in a conscious sense, but it's it's being drawn from that deep unconscious place as where a lot of the best writing comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think that that is one of the more interesting themes that she keeps returning to in the book. And again, as a as a as a. Uh, a nonfiction prose writer for the, for the most part myself, I don't have quite the same experience in that regard. Although there are a lot of times where, you know, I, I've explained to people that, that writing is particularly the kinds of complex projects that I've worked on, uh, on my academic side is really painful because I and I, I'm, I'm not a linear thinker. I'm a mosaic thinker. I see like the picture of how stuff connects and then trying to string together in a linear fashion some explanation and description of how that picture of, you know, connections and all that works, since this connection is actually connected to like five or six or seven other ideas, but I can't like repeat it. I don't want to repeat it five or six or seven times and, and keep revisiting the same thing. I have to address each thing at a slightly different place and describe my way around. And that gets really difficult. And that, that's the hard part. So there is that kind of, even with the stuff I do, that kind of intuition that you see it kind of in a broader perspective, you see the picture and it comes kind of in, intuitively and then trying to piece together a way to describe it using, you know, linear, logical, rational stuff, rational words and, you know, a rational, straightforward, uh, even, even in, uh, in, in nonfiction, you have to put together some sort of plot, you know, it's gotta be a, uh, it's gotta be something that makes sense from, a, from A to Z. That's really complicated. And, you know, she talks about different ways to, to, to tap into that. One of the ways that I've done it, and, you know, she doesn't mention anything like this, but one of the ways that I'd, I've done it, I mean, since I don't drink or, uh, or, you know, do a number of the uh, substances that she talks about in the book. Uh, one of the ways that, you know, I've done it when I've gotten really stuck and trying to get this picture to try to empty my mind is I actually just go and get in the shower and yeah, I sit on the floor your, of the shower. It's your spot. Yeah. I sit on the floor of the shower and I just try to just let my mind go. Yeah. And eventually, you know, and, and there, there, there are times where all of a sudden it, it comes to me and I used to just like run naked out of the shower and start, you know, really quickly trying to type out the one or two sentences that came to me when I was sitting in the shower, not trying to think of it. And then eventually I just started taking my iPhone in there and uh, and leaving it just outside the shower so that if something came really quickly, I just reach outside the right, reach outside the shower, turn on the record button on my voice memos and then just, you know, verbal diarrhea 
that out and then transcribe what I got. And some of the best parts of, of uh, some of the stuff I've written <laughs> came that way because I, I had it intuitively, yeah. but I just couldn't, I couldn't find a way to say it until it came through well, some other means. And speaking of diarrhea, uh, Eddie Van Halen, I, I had read one time, <laughs> had a studio put into his bathroom. I need to, I need to verify that because it, it just it does, it sounds a little weird. But I, I once read it's that Van he, Halen, man, it's Eddie Van Halen. He he got, he had his best ideas on the on the John. So he um, he uh, put in a, a studio into his or some sort of a recording thing so that while he was on the pot, he could um, he could get some of those ideas down. But uh, so when you're when you're in that flow state and you're you're doing this mosaic thing of all these things connecting, do you have to then write that down? Like, do you do you whiteboard stuff or do you, does it all stay in your mind and then you, like you get it back to to point A eventually? Or do you need to have somebody something to like to, to visually write it out? It depends on how complex we're talking. So there were there were it turned out that there were chapters of my dissertation that were so complex in trying to address uh, what, I, what I was trying to address that I, I had to mind map. I had to use, so I have a whiteboard uh, just above uh, one side of my desk that I used. And then I got this uh, little little program called Scapel uh, from, liter uh, from Literature and Latte, uh, uh, the Literature and Latte company online. And it's a, a mind mapping software that you can make, you can, you know, put notes together and then find ways to graphically represent their connections on your, on your computer. And cool. I used that, uh, to create extremely detailed, uh, visual mosaic outlines of of, of full chapters in a couple cases, because I couldn't write the chapter until I was able to do that. And then I would go from that part uh, to work. So what I do is, is, is this is the other, one of the other tricks that, you know, she talks about in the importance of getting, you know, just getting words on paper, uh, and, and, you know, go with a, with a crappy first draft and all this stuff. One of the things that she doesn't mention that, you know, I found, I've found to be very helpful for me is whatever I'm able to write at the moment. So if I have some sort of, if, if I was writing fiction, if I, if I have a scene in my head, then I'm going to write that scene, even if it doesn't, have anything to do with where I am in the larger plot, I'm writing that scene. It may be a scene from, you know, like what with JK Rowling writing the, the last scene from the entire series before she publishes the first book and only tweaking that scene a little bit toward the end, you know, the end of writing that the, the, the final book, uh, you write whatever comes to your mind, whatever, you, whatever, whatever is going to flow out of you, then you go ahead and get it out. And what I learned to do and in, in using actually, I, I ended up trying to find and ended up finding a piece of software that allowed me to take this approach more easily, uh, a piece of software called Scrivener, which a lot of, uh, a lot of writers use. It allowed me to do that, to, do, to take a nonlinear approach to my creative process while writing so that I could write different sections or you know, different pieces of a project out of order and then move them around as I needed. Uh, so That's what I ended cool. up doing with Scapple is making that really detailed mind map and then writing, like narrowing down once I had it to, to my satisfaction that that more or less represented how I was, how I wanted to connect things and how I was seeing it. Then I would narrow down to like this little corner and this little corner. And I would write those sections, the sections that each of those 
little notes represented. And I would write those sections. And then eventually I found a way to connect them in a linear fashion and just move them around until they made sense and then provided uh, and then put together, uh, uh, you know, ways of transitioning between sections and all that to make it make sense in a in a linear fashion. Uh, but that was the only way for me to actually get that done because there were just too many balls in the air to keep track of. So generally speaking, I can, I, you know, if I, if the, if the picture that I see is simple enough, I might be able to just put it down. But if it's really complex, like some of the projects that I've worked on before, then you just find whatever you can, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll use a blank sheet of paper and, you know, try to, again, mind map and, and look at how these th different things connect to one another or whatever, so that I can at least have some bullet points or something that I can then develop into a larger, you know, uh, uh, you know, my advisor is Bart Ehrman, and, and one of the things that uh, that uh, that he did, or that he does, that I I also do, uh, is start from like a bullet point or an, an item on an outline. Once you have your outline set, and then you just expand that item into a paragraph, and then that paragraph may become two or three paragraphs or whatever. But by doing so, you simplify the writing process instead of having to come up with something on the spot. Once you actually have the direction that you've that you've got set. Once you have those notes and everything out so that you've figured out what you're doing and, and you've, you've got the picture there, then you just expand it. And, you, and then eventually, once you've expanded it, then you just pare down to make your writing e economical and all that. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a process that, uh, that does simplify things a little bit in, 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 the, uh, in going from seeing the picture to making it discursive and linear. It's just, it's fascinating how, how each person does it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I love talking shop with people who do creative work, whether it's musicians, whether it's other people who write or do research, whether in my field or not, I just yeah. love talking shop because nobody does it. No two people do it the same way. And I've learned from a lot of, a lot of people, uh, and, and picked up different tips from their, their process, you know, their processes. I mean, one of my, uh, old, uh, colleagues at, at UNC, Elise uh, Morgenstern uh, uh, Fuerst, who is now uh, a faculty member at another institution, you know, she was brilliant and she did certain things differently in her process than me. But I learned so much and, and improved my own processes by listening to how she did some of her stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really smart. And I'm going to change to do that. Yeah. You know, different things like that. Or uh, another another friend of mine from from uh, graduate school years, uh, Tim Cooperi, same thing. There's certain things in terms of process where it's like, oh, why have I been doing it that way? That's just so much smarter. And yeah. so you learn little shortcuts. Yeah, not, like I was mentioning before, I, I was very interested on that, in, on the musical side of things. And so, I mean, I, artists from uh, Chris, Chris Martin from Coldplay to Jay-Z to uh, just all these different artists, like saying the same thing about how art came through them. And it was, just, it was a really fascinating study for me. I, I, at, at that time I was blogging a lot about music and I wrote some of those things down that I, that I, I found, but I just back in the old Cocapelli times days. Yeah. Cocapelli times 2008. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun, fun, uh, thing to, to see, uh, that a, a lot of the commonality. And, and so that's a, a lot where my mind went to while reading this book. I, I um, kind of hoped, actually, when reading this book, that there would be more of that kind of shop talk. 
And, yeah. and, and I was a little disappointed, you know, given the way that this book is discussed by, by people, again, like Ferris and others who, uh, who talk about it. I, I kind of expected that more of that kind of help. And, and instead it was a little bit more of like, yeah, yeah, you're probably really neurotic and yeah, yeah, you really feel like you need to get, you need to, uh, to fit in and like, you know, you're going to feel weird about some of this stuff, but don't worry, you know, just, you know, get over yourself kind of thing. And it's that kind of book more than a, you know, shop talk about methods and, you know, ways of, of doing stuff. And, and again, if, if that's the kind of thing you need, I think this book is probably as good as any for it. Uh, yeah. It's just not a shop talk book in terms of methodology and, and, and some of those other things, tools and stuff like that. I didn't get much in, in that way out of it. We might get a little more of that in the, the artist's way book. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that one's a little closer to that. Yeah. Well, anything else before we <laughs> head into the conclusion? Yeah, one last thing. I, okay. she, she keeps coming back to this one thing where, you know, I, I agree with her that, you know, you can't write to be published, to be a published author, right? That, that's not a good motivation and it's not going to make anybody a good writer. But she does repeatedly come back to this idea that, you know, that thing you had to force yourself to do, this is a quote, that thing you had to force yourself to do, the actual act of writing turns out to be the best part. And upon reading that, my initial, my immediate reaction was more or less the reaction of Michael Scott on The Office when he discovered that uh, Toby Flenderson was returning, which was, no, dear God, no, 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 not even close, not even close. Because for me, most of the time I spend writing, especially academic writing, where you're doing all sorts of citations and you know, so much of it is just demonstrating that you've done the necessary work and that you really are, you're not going off, you know, off your rocker here, that the argument that you're making is persuasive. The closest thing, the best way that I can explain what that feels like to me, it is not something that I look at, look at and I'm like, oh, you know, the, the process of doing it was the thing that was worth it. Oh, no, 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 no. I like having written. I like having made my case and being able to point to something that I've done and that's clarified my thinking and I can point people to you know, go and take a look at that. That, that. that is the corrective that I think needs to be read. I like that. But the actual process, the closest image that I can think of in terms of what it's like for me to sit down and do that is to basically sit down at a desk and then take a letter opener or a really sharp knife or something like that and just open up a couple of veins and just bleed all over the place. And that's not pleasurable for me. It might be for some people, but that process is just not fun. Like I don't get a real kick out of that. That's no. So like the idea that, Oh, writing is its own reward. And you know, eventually the best part of being a writer is the writing itself. Do you think it would be different though if if, if you were, were writing novels? I don't know. I don't have that experience. And, you know, again, for me, every experience I've had, whether, whether it's been writing, writing sports analyses, whether it's been writing lecture, lecture notes, whatever I've written, the experience of actually writing it is not pleasurable, is not, is not the thing that gives me pleasure. 
It's the experience. It's, it's once I have written. I enjoy having written. Now, I do, I do like, there are times where when I'm able to really write something and write it well, I get pleasure at the thing being done in the sense that I'm doing what I'm made to do in that, in, in that moment. So sometimes there is that sense of like, and, it, and usually that's right after or right in the process of like finishing that project or it's either at the, pro, at the time of finishing it or of sort of the beginning of it where you're outlining it and you're, you're really, really seeing it as it is. You're really seeing that picture for the first time. That's really pleasurable. But the process then from there of sanding that down and working through the citations and getting everything to be where it is and then that, how long that takes to go from really seeing the picture and being excited that you actually got to see and learn that and, and that's really cool and then all of a sudden it's like well yeah that was three years ago and it was cool then but I'm kind of tired of it now <laughs> so yeah. and I've, I'm bled out I, I, I don't have any more to give I'm, I, I've, I've given all my blood and I'm empty and I'm, I'm now zombified and uh, desiccated withered husk and a little bitter at everything and now I need to just go and do something other than write for a little bit were you excrementitious? Yeah, exactly. Maybe my writing has been at times, but, uh, but yeah, so that was one other thing where I looked at it and I was like, mm, yeah, for some people, I guess maybe they can say that. But for me, it's something I can't not do. I, I feel a compulsion to do it. I have to do it. Otherwise I feel like I'm not making my, my contribution to fix the injustice or whatever that, that I've noticed that has, has compelled me to write. Yeah, but I don't find it to be one of those things where it's like, oh, it's its own reward. The process is is what it's worth. If no one ever read what I was writing, like if I was just writing and I and and I discovered later on that no one would ever read what I was writing, then I'd just stop because the writing is not the reward for me. It's the potential to maybe impact even if it's three or four readers, which with the dissertation, you know, maybe only four people ever read it. Yeah, uh, but hopefully once it gets published as a book, more people will. But, you know, if no one's going to read it, I'm not interested in doing it because it's not its own reward. The reward is being able to communicate with and potentially impact and then be impacted by people who are impacted by it and be a part of that discourse and that dialogue. That, to me, is the reward. And it's a little that's different. Yeah. But I've heard people also say that they write to get their thoughts together. So for them, they may not care if anyone actually does read it for them. I mean, they would obviously love it, but for them, it's it's. The process of writing helps them clarify their thoughts as well. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I, I do believe that unless you can write it, you don't really know it. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things. Or it's, teach it's, it. Yeah, it's remarkable how you think you know something and you think you know it really well. And then you actually have to sit down and write it and you discover how uh, incomplete and how imperfect the knowledge that you have of something is because it, it really is a different thing to try to produce coherent words on a page about something that you're trying to put together. It's just a totally oh, that's different what, game. Uh, Ayakoka was saying where he, he would have his, uh, oh, yeah, his yeah. underlings write the one page paper. About that, if yeah. they had an idea, he, he would have them write it down to, to make sure it was, it was well thought out. Yeah. So let's go ahead and then, and get to the uh, conclusions unless you have anything specific, but I believe you were uh, ready to move to that about 10 minutes ago. So. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good book. I mean, it, especially if you're a writer, if, if you're, uh, if you're struggling, this, this is a good book probably combined with the artist way. The artist way is, is more of a, a workbook to where it might 
actually help you, uh, uh, dig a little deeper. But, uh, I, I would say for anyone who's, who's wanting to write it, especially in the, the fiction realm and, uh, this, this is just kind of a, a, a quick read and an enjoyable read. And also if, if you read a lot of novels and I, I, this help, this book helped me see the writing process from the, from the author's like, you know, having read different novels to, to think about it from the author point of view, it, it was really cool. And, and it, it made me want to write my own a little bit and, uh, and, and maybe experiment with that in the future. And then just gave me a better appreciation for the, the reading, uh, reading part of it. Uh, I, I thought it was also a good book. It, it was almost a combination of daily rituals which I mentioned earlier, the the book that just goes through all these different uh, famous people's morning routines or their their rituals around creating their art, and uh, com- combined with the book Getting Things Done. Uh, so just kind of a how how do you if if you are a writer how do you, how do you just get how do you do that daily practice the the bird by bird how do you how do you take it one step at a time? So I, I appreciated appreciated that part of it and it and it did completely flip my understanding around of the, the writing process in terms of, of always assuming people just had the whole thing thought out and then filled in the gaps, uh, compared to what she says of, of, um, going with the character. And as you were just talking about where, uh, if you, if you feel that you, you need to write something about this character, but it, it maybe wasn't what you thought would happen, you, you still go with that. Uh, and, and, and seeing that as this process of, of writing a novel, I thought that was, was interesting. Um, and, and a neat perspective on it. What, what, what were your, uh, your main conclusions? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can echo most of that. Um, I thought that, uh, again, it was, it leaned more to the sort of inspirational and philosophical angle of writing and what it is to be a writer. It was almost like a memoir of, of a person's life as a writer and what that, what, it, you know, what your life might be like if you choose to write. Uh, and some of the potential pitfalls uh, and neuroses that you have to to deal with in order to to be able to get over yourself well enough to be able to write. Um, it was more of that than it was what I expected it to be, which was more of a uh, uh, you know a tools of the trade, you know, discussing method and um, and practice and and some of those things in terms of uh, you know some of the the more you know, this is, this is the way that, you know, various writers do things, you know, sort of, sort of that, that, that sort of thing, which is what I expected it to be. Uh, so it was a little different than I expected, but I thought, you know, by and large, it was, it was pretty well done. And I think, you know, a lot of what she had to say, uh, you know, rang true for me. And in my experience as a writer, though, uh, I think perhaps much more openly neurotic, uh, than, uh, than I at least perceive myself to be uh, in, in that. Uh, so, you know, I, and, and more, uh, I mean, she did remind me of some of the colleagues that I've had in, in academia who are constantly having to self-talk and constantly having to, you know, deal with imposter syndrome and so on. And again, my wife and I've laughed about this because there are lots of people, you know, you get all these people in academia that, you know, they talk about imposter syndrome and, oh, you'll just never feel like you're good enough or you'll never feel like you truly belong because, you know, it's just the way it is. And I, I just kind of look at look around. I'm like, I don't really feel that way. Like, I 
I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. And I think my arguments are usually right. And, you know, if they're not, then I fix them. So yeah. I don't really worry about it. <laughs> like I'm not, <laughs> like it, it just doesn't, but especially if you tend to be someone who may have, uh, some of the, 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 uh, t- potential towards some of the neuroses. And even with me, I will say that writing the process of it is so emotionally draining and so difficult that it does lead towards a, a kind of, um, manic depression. You, you do deal mm-hmm. with, with, with depressive, uh, periods and all of this because of what you're going through in terms of the isolation and how deeply you have to, to work into your own head to make it work that even where maybe, you know, you may not be as inclined toward some of the neuroses that she discusses. If you're going to write, you're going to have to deal with some of the same kinds of things that she's talking about in other areas. So I thought it was pretty useful in those in those things and, and rang true. Uh, it was just yeah. a little different than I expected. Um, maybe not something that I'll revisit uh, in, unless I decide to do some fiction and maybe hit a block and I need to look at a chapter here or there to kind of remind myself of something. But uh but, you know, it's an interesting enough read. And I think especially if someone out there is interested in be in becoming a writer or interested in, you know, how to think about writing, this is a pretty good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's as useful potentially for someone who's already kind of figured out a good process and is comfortable with where with with who they are uh, and is already starting is already started as a writer. That That's probably not the book for, for that person, but. Overall, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good read, and uh, and could be you know useful for a, a, a reasonable demographic of people out there interested in in doing writing, whether you know blogging or you know full full blown novels. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, that's that's going to do it for us today. Uh, before we get out of here, just a reminder: we're at booksoftitans.com. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at booksoftitans. We're on all the podcasting platforms. And uh, we'd love if you gave us a review or, or shot us an email or uh, gave us a note on, on one of the social platforms to let us know how we're doing and what you think. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Next week, we're, uh, we'll be discussing Walden by Thoreau. And on behalf of Jason, I'm Eric, and this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep improving. And keep it excrementitiously real. I made this.